Trail and Ultra Runners, what is going on? What's happening? Welcome to another episode of the Coopcast. As always, I am your humble host, Coach Jason Coop, and this episode of the podcast kicks off a series of podcasts that is all about how to use and leverage physical therapy to keep you on the right side of the injury line. Those longtime listeners of the podcast will know and recognize that staying injury free is one of the most problematic aspects of running and trail runners are no exception to this. And so over the course of my career, I have gone to great lengths to develop a network of physical therapists and also have a mechanism to develop that network of physical therapists that I can lean on with my athletes. And so starting this week, October 21st, I have three of the physical therapists that I have used the most personally and with my athletes to glean a little bit of insight into not only what it takes to be a good physical therapist, but also what you can look uh, for when you are uh, when you are navigating this landscape and trying to find practitioners in your area. Starting this week, October 21st, we have Jessica Lehman, who happens to live here in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And then on October 28th, we're going to bring on my good friend, John Chow. And then finally, on November 4th, we're going to have Nat Collins come on. And each of them, what I appreciate about them the most is they bring not only a tremendous track record of success with patients and athletes alike, but also the way that they think about how to treat patients and how they have set up their businesses in many cases to better serve patients is something that I think that we can all learn from. So on the podcast today, we have Jessica Lehman, who just happens to be a very good friend of mine. She lives right around the corner. In fact, she came over to my house to record this podcast and you hear my dog in the background every once in a while. You guys will have to forgive me for, uh, for this, but I'm not just bringing on Jessica because she's proximate to me. I'm bringing on Jessica because she also is a partner in her own physical therapy clinic, Great Moves, here in Colorado Springs, Colorado, which has been very successful over the course of the past. I can't even remember how long it's been open, since 2009, I believe. But she also is a very well-rounded practitioner. She's been a member of the American Physical Therapy Association since 2001. She has also served on Colorado's APTA board and is also the co-chair of the Professional Development Committee and serves on the Colorado delegation at the National House of Delegates. In addition to that, she has received the Bob Doctor Service Award in 2008 and was named Outstanding Physical Therapist of the Year in 2014 by the Colorado APTA. Jessica is one of the people that I have leaned on the most, not only to send my athletes to, not only to get treatment myself, but also how to network and go out into the space and navigate this really complicated world and try to find high quality physical therapists that can work with endurance athletes. Her insights are invaluable and I guarantee you, you will pick up a ton of nuggets of wisdom for not only how to navigate uh, this area yourself, but also how to take advantage of these physical therapy visits once you get into the office. So there we go. There's the preamble. I hope everybody sticks around for the next few podcasts. I'm going to get right out of the way. Here it is, my conversation with my good friend 
and one of the most outstanding physical therapists I have gotten to know over the years. This is Jessica Lehman. So I was reminded when I came into the clinic yesterday that you guys have been there for a long time. Yeah, we have been there for, well, we've been in business for 21 years. That's a long time to have a physical therapy clinic. It is. It is, particularly in this day and age. Yes. Well, and I, so so much so I actually looked it up this morning. Do you know what the average length, the average career length of a physical therapist is? I don't. What would you guess? So what I do know is that it takes two to three years is about what they stay at a particular practice, mm. which is also not what our therapists do, luckily. Yeah. Um, but I don't know the length of the career. I got between five and seven years wow. when I was looking it up. Wow. That's surprising to me, actually. That it's that long? It's that short. That it's that short? Because of the investment. In- yeah, it's a huge educational cost up front. And that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about. Yeah, it, it, it's a massive investment. Um, and we're trying to shift that a little bit within the profession. Um, trying to make it not such a burden. Uh, but it is, it's a big investment of time, energy, and money right now. So let's start out with that because what ultimately what I want to come out of this conversation with is a little bit of a toolkit that athletes can use to kind of survey the landscape of physical therapists. Cause you and I have a, a really similar view on physical therapy, you on physical therapy and me on coaching where we can mm-hmm. look at the landscape. We've been doing it for so long, right? right? I've been a coach for 20 years. You've been a physical therapist for about that same length of time right, as well, right. right? Yes. And that gives you perspective on not only how that landscape has changed, but how other people who are trying to navigate it, who aren't as savvy, can 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 come in and have a successful experience. Because we both have the experience, me on coaching, you on physical therapists, that have had great experiences. People come in, they just happen to find a great physical therapist or a great coach. Mm-hmm. And then the opposite is true. And if you're not if you don't have that kind of level of experience in the field mm-hmm. in, or in that particular industry, it's, re- it's really hard to like say, ah, oh, you shouldn't go there, but you should go over here. I agree. I hear you on that. I, and I think that we take for granted until you just pointed that out. We take for granted that base of knowledge to be able to quickly assess what is quality and what is not quality. Exactly. So I've known you throughout almost the entirety of that educational journey. It's true. <laughs> which is, which, and I'll apologize for that. <laughs> yeah, that's, no, I don't apologize at all. I can remember like you invite you and Jim inviting me into your house, sleeping in your basement when I was a knucklehead 21 year old and you going to, you know, <laughs> night school and just trying to like figure out the whole deal. So really quickly try to like, try, try, go over that educational journey that a doctor of physical therapy will will have to go through if they if that's if that's what they choose to undertake. So the traditional journey, which is not what I took, um, is to go to four years of undergraduate school, major in a form of science, one particular science or another, knowing going in that you have prerequisites that are specific to PT school, which are unique. They're a little different from what it would be for uh, going to medical school or going to some of the other healthcare professions. So one thing that's unique is you need a background in psychology. 
so there are psych classes that are mandatory if you're applying to PT programs. Um, some require calculus, some don't. So you have your four-year degree with the specific prerequisites that must be included. Athletic trainers, great background. Um, that's a great four-year undergraduate degree to come into PT school with because you have so much hands-on experience yeah, already. Yeah. And, and you get a lot of the um, just on-the-field experience that we don't necessarily get in PT school. So you have that. Then you go to a, a doctoral program. They're two and a half to three years. And they are in t- they're year-round. So you don't get summers off anymore. (laughs) Probably remember. No breaks. (laughs) Complaining about that. Um, But it's intense. It's a lot. It's a lot to go through. And it is your full-time job. So the only person in my PT class that, quote unquote, worked outside of PT school, she was a mountain bike racer, a pro. Mm. And she would just basically, and she already had a master's degree in exercise uh, physiology. So she had a lot of the science background already and that caliber of graduate level academics so she could handle it. Uh, she would just basically take off on a Friday and go race and come back. And most people didn't even know she was racing. <laughs> so that's about the only kind of work <laughs> that you could manage while you were in PT school because it was, you know, nine to five plus the hours afterwards. Is that intentionally designed to like weed out people that, can't cut it. I mean, kind of like any other medical school, right? They intentionally designed it very in a very difficult fashion to like cut through a little bit of the duff. 100%. Um, in fact, our first semester, I'll never forget our anatomy professor, Dr. Cliff Barnes. He had us all sitting there and we're all you know, nervous first years. <laughs> and he said, okay, here's the deal. I already know because you guys are in this room. I already know that you're accomplished and that you are successful academically. And I know you're smart. I said, so you spent the last four years kind of clawing your way, making sure you get the best grades, making sure you get all A's, because you wouldn't get in if you didn't have it. Uh, there is a history of people applying to PT school multiple years in a row, because it's hard to get into. Um, so anyhow, he said, right now in our learning model is where you have to set that all aside. And we all, <laughs> you could hear crickets, you know. What? what are you talking about? We're, no, we're used to being competitive. We're used to being, you know, we got to get there. We got to do this the best. And he said, so if you don't settle down with the competitiveness, you'll never make it. You guys need each other to get mm-hmm. through this program. Yeah. And if you don't, he said, this is not medical school and it's not law school. You are not, what we don't do is you're not graded. You're not put in a Um, system where, you know, you choose your residencies or clinicals based on your rank. He said, we don't rank you. He said, and some of my B students are actually some of the best clinicians because they see the big picture. They're not just academically strong, which was just for all of us. We're all like, what are you telling us? (laughs) Don't get us. We get Bs. (laughs) We don't know what you're saying right now. Um, So he just had this really common sense, down to earth, little talk for us that I think probably all of us remember. So it is very competitive. And and that being said, you can't get below a B and stay in PT school. So it's not like, you know, I've heard, you know, with medical school, you, what do you call someone who's not doing well? well you know, in, in, in uh, their world, you still call them doctor at the end of the right, day. Exactly. Right. So 
our world was not quite the same. <laughs> if you dropped below a certain GPA, you would get kicked out of the program or probation and then kicked out of the program. So as much as they said, you know, you can't be competitive, you can't be, well, you still had to be extremely on your game. That's pretty tight. But I mean, the what was fascinating to me after talking to you a little bit about this is, and I didn't appreciate this until more recently, is kind of the interdisciplinary approach that a physical therapist has to have. It's not just all anatomy and physiology and working with your hands. I mean, you have to have a psychology degree as well. You have to have some classes in psychology. You have to have a background in it. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least a background in it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's part of what's unique. It's such, it's so focused on the human experience. I mean, really our job is to make people get through this world with movement and the best movement possible, the best quality movement, the least painful movement. <laughs> um, not all, not not just pain free, the least painful. I like the way that sometimes we have to say yeah. that, right? Because we deal with people with chronic pain. Yeah. How are you going to manage it? Yeah. You know, we know for one reason or another that this isn't going away. But does that mean you do nothing? That would be the worst thing for you. Mm. How do we help you compensate and get through and? live a life outside of your world of pain, um, get you moving because movement is medicine at the mm. end of the day. That's how we see it. So we also have to work in our um, profession when we're going through our clinicals, even if you end up in an outpatient setting, you in your clinicals had to work in a hospital setting. And that means you had a team. You had speech therapists, occupational therapists, physicians, nurses, you had everybody, respiratory therapists. And Often we have to sort of be a quarterback with that. Oh, I think we need this now. We need that now. Mm. In the military world, PTs are more like primary care. We actually do a lot of the triage. And um, that's so that's how we're trained. Mm. We have that capacity. We just don't always use it. Or the setting doesn't allow for us to use it. And let's kind of shift. I think that's a good transition point to shift over to the outfit that you've had now for 21, 21 years, great moves, physical therapy here in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I've been there myself. I've sent athletes there. Our coaches have been there. So we, we've got the trifecta of people that are there, but it's not only athletes that are there. I mean, you see a really wide range of patients as I experienced just the other day in terms of abilities and age and background and on and on and on and on. Describe the practice though. Just to like paint paint the picture, like who's working there? What clinicians do you have there? Why do you have those people there? So um, we we start out small, right? We only had three of us in in back when I started there. Um, and Jackie Corey started the clinic in two thousand one on her own. I was still in PT school, and um, she's also a Regis grad, and that's how I met her was through the Regis connection. So. Um, we started small and then we moved into a bigger space in 2010 and that's when we expanded. So now we have six physical therapists, all with different backgrounds. We have two massage therapists and we have two fitness trainers. So our model is that we're a whole person type of facility and we're on, we have a wellness focus. We have very traditional physical therapy and we have a wellness focus and that blend I think is what allowed us to stay in business so long. Mm. Um, and very, um, the span, the lifespan, throughout the lifespan, we do not treat young children. Um, pediatrics is its 
own entity yeah. and have a lot of respect for pediatric physical therapists. So uh, teenage athletes, yes. Outside of that, if it, I do see uh, in the adult population orthopedic and neurological uh, issues, that's in my wheelhouse, both of those. For pediatrics, it's a little bit different for neuro, the neuro side of that. So I really lean on my uh, pediatric colleagues for that if somebody needs that kind of treatment. So our practice, um, we have um, a golf specialty um, because it's my, badass by the way thank you it is. it's totally badass thank you we have a golf simulator it's fun it so it's cool when my business partner and i built this facility we actually toured spas and medical facilities and we wanted to blend that because we wanted it to be a place where people felt like it wasn't too sterile and stiff that they could get better and feel comfortable. And we feel like that sympathetic nervous system when you walk into a medical facility sometimes just goes up yeah. automatically. Yeah. People put their guard up. And so we thought, could we create this, this blend a little bit so people walk in and feel like it's a little different? It's a little bit more calming. It's a little more fun. It's a little – it's just different. So we wanted that to be um, obvious when you walked in the door. So we, we really built the inside of the facility. We gutted it and we redid it and we really put it put that in mind. Like let's make the treatment. So treatment room, individual treatment rooms, uh, that's one of our focuses. Yeah. And we uh, think that allows the person to speak freely. We're often speaking to people about really personal yeah, things. Yeah. I mean, I treat uh, pelvic health issues as well. So that area, for sure, you want a quiet private space for that. So we really designed it with healing and wellness in the forefront. And and then um, we lean on our medical background to create the rest. I'm starting to see more and more physical therapy outfits that are like that just in the space. Mm-hmm. I mean, it used to be where you walked in and they had a cable cross machine and a little floor and some you know trinkets and toys and things like that, but everything was open. Right. right. They're just benches. It almost resembled like uh, my old college, like athletic trainer rooms, right? Yeah. Where they're just benches and people yeah. and everything was just kind of open air. Yeah. And it just seems like gradually they've been shifting to more, I want to use the word interdisciplinary, but it's not quite the right word where it's just, they're bringing in more assets, like more, more people assets, right? Mm-hmm. The massage therapists, the PTAs, the strength and conditioning people, like to, to, try to create, I'm going to use the cliche word holistic, right? Yes. This like holistic experience with the, uh, with the, with the patient. And it sounds like you guys did that deliberately over the course of year. Cause you can't do all that at once unless you get like investor money, venture capital money thrown at you, which is really rare in this right, space. That was not, but yeah. you've got to do that gradually over time. And it seems like that was at least, at least partially deliberate on you and Jackie's accord. It was our vision. This was our one place. We wanted to build our dream PT clinic, and that's what we set out to do. So, uh, oh, and I have an Alter G. That's my baby. <laughs> I forget about that. That was, you know, Jackie got her golf simulator. I got the Alter G. Oh, no, that, was, that was the deal, huh? That was the business so deal. So that was it. Um, so we both got something great out of it because I love working with endurance athletes. So, um, and it's really great for many populations, actually. Parkinson's, folks with Parkinson's, it really helps a ton with that uh, group of individuals. So, um, and I should add in, this is hot off the presses. This is not public information yet, but it's about to be oh, right breaking now. news. Breaking news. Um, we we have had one or two PTAs work with us in the past. Um, because of our facility, we really require a 
just a certain level of experience. And um, we've just um, gotten word that uh, Allison Dunlap will be joining us. Oh, nice. And she's in the endurance world a little bit. She's, yeah, you have to tell everybody a, who Allison is. So this is a running right, crowd. A running gr- and they they right. kind of get like too, too much tunnel vision. Or I hear running. you. We all do that. <laughs> Cyclists do that too. Triathletes do that, right? You know the people in your world. Uh, her background is pretty fantastic. She has an undergraduate degree in biology from Colorado College, and and I think her story. Hopefully, I'm not making it incorrect but i think this is pretty much it she tried out for the soccer team and they were about second in the nation so she didn't make it not because she's not great but because they were a great team and uh she decided to try riding her bike so she started riding her bike and riding it more and uh suffice it to say she did pretty well with it she's the uh she was a world champion the first world champion first women's mountain bike world champion i actually was there that day having no idea i was watching history seriously yes I was there that day. I was in PT school. I came up and I was studying that weekend, but I happened to come out because I was like, oh, Allison, I know her. I'm going to watch her race. I had no idea what I was watching. That's hilarious. Um, That picture of her at the finish line with the American flag. So so for the listeners, it was right after 9-11. So the whole country is in a little bit of a a shell shock. The Mountain Bike World Championships, the first women's mountain bike world championships was in Vail, Colorado that year. And Allison Dunlap, who's kind of a hometown kid at this point, right? Went to Colorado College, yep. ended up winning the race. And she, I'm kind of tearing up about it right now because it's such an emotional thing. She crossed the finish line with an American flag, and it was just oh, this spectacular chills. moment. So she's joining your clinic. Yeah, and Olympic athlete, too. I mean, she and went Olympic. on to you know, go to the Olympics and, um, and just a fantastic person. I mm. mean, she her level of care. I actually have a patient right now. It was really funny. Elderly woman. So this is where we get that lifespan. So I you know, certainly see people in the geriatric population. And she had had a fall and was in a, a rehab setting. And she said, oh, I had this student working with me at my um, at the end of my stay at the hospital. And she was just amazing. And this, this woman rides her bike to Denver for Thanksgiving. <laughs> and her son. And her son is young. And he rides his bike to Denver for Thanksgiving. And I'm thinking, this is sounding really familiar. There are not many people in this world who will do this. And said a couple more things. And I said, it, her name wouldn't happen to have been Allison, would it? Yes, we're still in touch with her. How do you know That's Allison? Hilarious. She's amazing. But just this impact she had on yeah, this yeah, yeah. woman. And it just speaks to her her gifts, I think, which, which we are so excited to bring into our clinic. Yeah, she's a great person as well. Yes, she is. Okay, so yeah, here's sorry. the here's the million dollar question though, because Boy. people want to be able to like navigate this space. Yes, and it's really easy for somebody to look at somebody like Allison with her background, former world champion, Olympian, fantastic. Oh, I want her to treat me because she has the street cred. Right. I know you don't have that tight of a lens on things, and so let's use that as as a little bit of a transition point to how do you evaluate people that are coming into your clinic as qualified physical therapists Mm -hmm. and maybe use that as a little bit of a lesson for the audience out there to do the same when they're trying to navigate this space as well. So I really feel strongly about their uh, engagement with the American Physical Therapy Association, uh, the APTA. If they're a member of the APTA, that's a really good start. Uh, only, unfortunately, I think it's 35%, 40% really? of our profession 
our members, oh. and we're working to change that. I've been a member of APTA since I was a student, actually. What's the limiting factor in that? Uh, oh, I don't want to be too um, critical. Uh, people say it costs a lot. Oh, it's cost, yeah. Yeah, it does. That happens in any certifying body, though. Sure, it costs but a lot. It, really, for what you get, it doesn't. Oh, the, and, and they don't see what, what the APTA does for them. They don't do anything for oh, me. Oh, got it. Got well, being part of, I don't want to like go on a diatribe here, sure, but sure. being part of the Colorado APTA, I can tell you our practice act is unbelievable. It's so open. We have so many avenues. You can treat animals in Colorado. We're the first state to do that. Really? So licensed physical therapists who were working with animals and, and vets had to be vet techs. They couldn't say they were licensed doctor of physical therapy because huh. we, we were only licensed to work on humans. So when our sunset came up, which was your practice act, it's opened every seven years or so, yeah, yeah. completely opened. Anything can change. Well, we changed this um, and allowed, we said, uh, I believe it was patient, and we used that as a term as opposed to pers person or human. Mm -hmm. That's huh. opening that world for huh. those people working on animals huh. to come out as doctors of physical therapy. Huh. So, so that's little, the first piece. So that's that's a part of it. You know, there's so much in the background, legislatively in particular, mm -hmm. that we do. But people who aren't involved, I think, just don't know. So they don't see the benefit for the for the cost. They just don't understand how the profession works. And keep, can people look that up if their physical therapist is associated with that? They can. What's yeah, the are you an APTA member? So you go to uh, the APTA.org and you can find a physical therapist or find a PT. Okay. Just like you can on an the AM one that yeah, I sent you we'll to. Yeah, we'll talk about that one too. So that's a good start. And then you can look for a, uh, an acronym OCS, which means they're an orthopedic um, trained uh, specialist. Mm. I am not an OCS, even though I've been trained that way, but not, I don't have the certification. I don't have, so that's a little bit tricky because some people won't have it, mm -hmm. even though they have the skill set. But again, if you're just shooting in the dark and you're going to new state, and I do this, right? When I'm looking yeah. for therapists, for people, and I don't know anyone in that particular city, I'll start there. I'll just make sure they have these certain credentials that I know will narrow it down a little bit. Yeah. So that's a way to start um, looking for the PT side of it. Um, and sometimes you can get amazing PTs and they're in the wrong setting. So that's where we get to what type of setting are you looking for? Um, and I would obviously be a little biased towards the private practice side right? because we have freedom to do what we want. So we aren't owned by anybody. It's PT owned and physical therapy owned practice mm. is another thing to look for. Versus a hospital owned or owned by a or larger physician owned. physician owned. Yeah. yeah. So and what's the, in your, in your estimation, what's the advantage of being physical therapist owned? So some of the advantages that I see as a physical therapist, when I have a question, I have a referral from a doctor or I, or I have a patient who's just coming from surgery and I'm their PT, so it doesn't matter who the doctor usually works with, they'll come work with me, that type of thing. If something isn't going quite right, I, have, I don't have any issues asking questions because they're not signing my paycheck. Oh, interesting. That can be tricky. Yeah, yeah. You sort of don't bite the hand that feeds you. Yeah. Technically in Colorado, it's done in all states. In Colorado, they're illegal. They're called POPs, physical physical or physician-owned physical therapy services. Um, there's a loophole, which is what's 
used by um, physicians that that have PT practices. So they're legal entities. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to say they're not right now, but the they're not staying within the ethics of the intent of that law. But the so the the chain of events that. Uh, you're gonna have to correct me if I'm wrong here on this because I don't know quite the organizational structure as well as you do. But the chain of events that a lot of people experience is, is they go into a surgeon, orthopedic setting, they have rotator cuff surgery, right? right? From that surgeon, they get assigned a physical therapist that's right. within that practice, right. right? That would be a physician-owned physical right. therapy type of clinic. Right. And what you're saying is, and I never ever have thought about this like that, that there is a little bit of a conflict between that physical therapist caring for that patient and their boss essentially being the person who did the surgery and coming back to the surgeon and saying, dude or lady, WTF, like, what do I do with this patient now? That's so, I never, I've never ever thought about that. So it's a, it can be a really awkward and maybe not best for the patient situation. So, right. Who's signing your paycheck? That's important. Okay. So, so, and again, I am not trying to say that there aren't amazing physical therapists working yeah. in those settings and that those physicians aren't amazing. That's not true. They all are amazing. It's the structure that I think can set you up for mm-hmm. a decrease in questioning and conversation sometimes. Um, on the flip side, they know the surgeons really well, so yeah. they're right down the hall. Maybe they can do that. But I, what I have seen, what I, that's how they always sell it to. And what I have observed, though, is there's not a lot of questioning going on in those environments. Huh. I never thought about it like that. Yeah, it would be dif- it would be difficult. I would be the same. It'd be difficult for me to do, right? Yeah, if yeah, I'm, yeah. well, it might not be difficult for me to do because <laughs> of my personality. <laughs> be clear. <Okay. laughs> that's so why how, I'm in private practice. <laughs> how, yeah, exactly. So, how else would somebody get hired on at Great Moves? We've already talked about they have to have good, you know, patient care. They have to be involved in the Physical Therapy Association. You oh. prefer a private practice. What else? is on the checklist, if there is a checklist. Manual therapy. They have to be manual therapists. So they really need to work on people. So I've had people show up for interviews saying, I'm a manual therapist. And this this might sound terrible, but I'm just going to say, they have long, long painted or fake nails. (laughs) Jason, I'm not going to lie. I don't know why they came to the interview. (laughs) Uh, You can't, I mean, mine are, you can see some white right now in my nails, which means they're, this is really long for me. I mean, you can barely see the white, but that's, no, you're not working with your hands on people. So that's a red flag for me. <laughs> it sounds terrible, but that is part of the process. And it, 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 maybe it sounds petty, but as a manual therapist, you can't do your job that yeah. way. Yeah. So obvious red flag, don't have long nails. <laughs> um, so uh, so that that's when I really look at their their backgrounds, where they've worked, how long they've worked there. So for me, the other piece is longevity. We're going to invest in this person. And I don't mean invest just in a fiscal manner. I mean, we're like a small little family, like a team. So we invest in them emotionally. We want to support them and their family or where they have going on. We really like to have that as part of our clinic. If they've been somewhere and they're the typical two to three years in a setting and then they moved on, that's another flag. Man, for me. I do the same thing with our coaches. Do you? Oh gosh. Whenever yeah. I see that on a resume, it's a like a huge red flag. Yeah, I'm asking a lot of questions. Yeah. The only out for that is if um, because we're a military town here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if they're a um, if they've been in the military themselves or if they're a military spouse, 
that makes sense to me. Mm, okay. And it's not a red flag anymore. But I have to ask questions around that. So sure. it'd be reasonable for the athletes out there that are trying to navigate this to just look at their resume and their bio. Because mm -hmm. most clinics have that. And mm -hmm. you can just see, hey, they graduated from XYZ in this year. And they have this certification. And they've been doing this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. is, is, is that a reasonable way to, for somebody to try to figure out the landscape? Yeah, I think it is. And and just because they have alphabet soup, as we call it, behind yeah, their name yeah, yeah. does not mean they're fantastic <laughs> all the time. Sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes it's not. You have to know which alphabet <laughs> letters you want in there. <laughs> uh, but, but it does indicate that they've been a lifelong learner, right? Mm. So it does indicate that they're passionate about, about learning. And I do love that because, I mean, that... We all have to keep learning all the time. So One of the tools that you gave me a while ago that I consistently use, and I professed to know nothing about this other than it's coming from you as a recommendation, mm -hmm. so I'll take it wholeheartedly, mm -hmm. is the Find a Fellow website. Mm -hmm. right. Whenever I have an athlete that is in another city and they're trying to, and they're trying to navigate this area, I do two things. First, I network, mm -hmm. and that's probably the least important, to be honest with you because it's always based on people's subjective bias, right? Sometimes they have great experiences with people that are not all that good, and sometimes they have poor experiences with people that should be good. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I go out and I network out, try to get the landscape, and then I cross-reference that with a find a fellow, which is really picky is what mm -hmm. I found out. Like I go there, and like there's some cities where it's zero. So we're going to have to describe to the listeners, what is that first? What is the alphabet soup <laughs> that, 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 that is contained in that, and why is that so important? The FAOMPT, the F-A-A-O-M-P-T. And I'll put a link to the to, to that website in the show notes for everybody that's listening. Right. So that's American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. That's why I made you do that because I would never it. remember. You got it. Of course, nor should you. Um, I would never expect anybody to. So it is, uh, it's, there, it's a fellowship, um, just like you have in uh, medicine for MDs, DOs. It's a fellowship program. So they're going to be the highest trained manual physical therapists uh, that really you can find um, to a degree, right? As much as, as much as we can tell on paper, right. what we know is that they've gone through yeah. extensive training in manual therapy above and beyond their, their physical therapy degree. So I go to their conferences. I, my, I was trained by fellows, which is just fortunate for me. Um, I am not a fellow. So again, I don't have the credentials I've just been fortunate to be in that world quite a bit. Um, but if I'm looking for someone and I don't know anything about them, if they have that credential, it allows me to immediately know something about their background that I trust. Mm. So I think that they will pull from a lot of different manual skills and be able to help this person and hopefully not just come. So we have, we have little pockets like a lot of professions do. You can have people who are like this one therapist who had the long nails and she's like, no, I'm McKenzie trained, which is an extension based therapy, uh, form of therapy. And it is very helpful, but boy, that's the only tool in your toolbox. Toast. Yeah. I mean, you can't, <laughs> that is not enough. That is a component of what manual therapists do, but that cannot be your only tool. It's like, if you, again, you had one hammer instead of a whole toolbox, I want people with a whole toolbox that also now some the, the blind eye to this sometimes is with manual therapy i feel like sometimes that world doesn't 
tap into the neuro world, the neuro side of what we do mm. enough, which is where we get to that neuro vestibular mm. side, vestibular being inner ear and balance. Those factor into how we move so much that I really want, you know, I, I appreciate some background in that too. But when I'm trying to find someone, a new city, don't know anyone there, that's a credential if they have it, that I'm going to start there. It doesn't mean that's where I'll end, mm. but I'm going to start there because it's a, as far as taking a shot in the dark, that's a pretty good shot in the dark. So what else is in your process? Because I've asked you this a lot. Hey, I need a physical therapist in Los Angeles. I need to find a physical therapist in Stowe, Vermont, or like sometimes they're like really kind of obscure places (laughs) other than going to the find a fellow website. Like what is your, what what would your process look like? Well, for me, it's a little different, right? Because I have the inside track. (laughs) So I'm also a delegate for Colorado. So I'm in something called the house of delegates, which is just our internal body on how we make decisions for the profession. Mm. So we have 10 delegates, for example, from Colorado, but we all get together once a year from around the nation. So I've gotten to know delegates over the years from lots of different states. Mm, so sometimes I will, yeah. Mm. So sometimes I'll like, you know, well, Eric Moen, so yeah, Cycling World exactly. would know that. So he's a, he's our, you know, bike fit guru, uh, teaches at APTA national level. Um, and he's fantastic. So if I need someone in the Northwest, I'm going to go ahead and reach out to. Because he'll know the network in that region. I'll know it. Yeah. He's been, and he's been the chapter president for the Washington APTA. Mm. So, so I go a little bit different route because I have that information. So I can't <laughs> not, really, not that's real. not, I want to be helpful to your listeners and that's probably not the most helpful thing for them. No, 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 I, but I think. I don't know how to teach that. I think the helpful thing is though, is when you have the inside, you can lean on people that have the inside track, right? And once again, that's what I do as a coach is one of the things is I'll network. And part of that network is I'll ask Jessica, I'll ask Eric, I'll ask other physical therapists that, that I trust that kind of know the space really well. I won't ask so-and-so athlete that happens to live in this area that happens to get physical therapy from that person. I won't, cause that's not an inside baseball track, right? That's right. an outside the ballpark type right. of track. I'll always go inside the the community of people that I know, and I don't know it as well as you do, but I'll always go inside that community first before I have to like reach out to the far, you know, nether regions of networking. Right. Same way if I needed information about some kind of a running and coach, who am I going to go to first? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm going to come to you and ask you questions about, do you know this person? Do you, what's, you know, talk, or can we talk about shoes? <laughs> or can we, <laughs> which we've done before. Yeah, exactly. um, can we talk about uh, packs? Can we talk, I mean, there are all kinds yeah. of, we, we have this great network. And I think that's what it is being involved at, in those networking situations. And I'm, and I know this is the same for you. Why do we go to conferences? Why do we go to these things? Yes, there is great education there but the conversations that happen in the hallway Mm. are oftentimes the game changers and that's how we get to know oh who is this person they're an expert in that area great i have a name Mm. i have a name i have a person and now i know my i can tag and so what are resources in the different areas and if i'm going to help patients if i'm going to help people i have to have resources and i think that's probably what you look Mm. for too 100 percent so you mentioned tools in the toolkit. Physical therapy is one of those. Uh, it's one of those professions where there's a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that you can lot. do. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of modalities. Yeah. There's a lot of like trinkets that you can have. 
One of the things I appreciate about your office in particular is that it's not barren, but you don't see up on the walls a rack of Theraguns or, you know, a gazillion tens units, you know, on the on display somewhere. And it never has really been like that. And I go mm-hmm. to some other physical therapy outfits and they seem to rotate, mm-hmm. right? One time they've got the dry, when dry needling became mm-hmm. legal in Colorado, that wasn't that long ago. Was it eight, 10 years ago? Maybe? Mm-hmm. And we've had to fight for it several times since. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed that every physical therapy outfit in the state of Colorado automatically became an expert in dry needling. Mm-hmm. And then something else gets hot. And then something else gets hot. Mm-hmm. Cupping. Or- cupping, yeah. Cupping gets hot or whatever. And yeah. so you look at this through a patient lens, right? Is this efficacious for the patient? Mm-hmm. How do you evaluate bringing those modalities or not into your clinic? Because you probably get served them up because people are trying to sell stuff, right? They are. And so for an example is, is you love the Altergy. Yeah. Right? That's something that you could have said is a really expensive piece of equipment. Yes. That's something that you could have said no to right. whenever they were serving it up to you. And I know you've had to go through that yeah. as a business and as a physical therapist. So what? how does it pass through your filter when you're getting served serve these things up, which seems like every six months you probably get hit up by somebody to buy something? There are a lot of trends. I've never been a trendy person. I mean, even in how I dress, <laughs> let's just be honest. So uh, I, I've, got to, I've got to see some research. I really need to see some research. So, for example, ultrasound. Hey, this is something that I don't even know. I haven't been in other PT clinics too much lately other than obviously my own. But that that's something that was done and and probably still is in most PT clinics. And um, I had it when I was 20 years old. That right. was like de facto athletic trainer, you get hurt. It's ultrasound. 1.5 watts per centimeter squared for 10 minutes. Okay, yep. that's what we do. And then the research when I went to PT school, this is back in the day now <laughs> because I've been here a while. Uh, even then, the research was very clear. It never gets to the depth of tissue that we think it does. Thus, it is not really helping. Now, if we're talking about hands, by the way, or feet, where we have very surface joints, this is different, okay? So I want to clarify that it can be helpful. And phonophoresis, where they use a little bit of like an aspirin, can be a little bit helpful for certain things. Um, And so I'm not saying you throw it out completely, but for everybody to get it, or the vast majority of people to get it, is an extra charge that doesn't help the patient. So we just decided, why have it? Our hands are better. Our, our exercises are better. Our, you know, let's get to the root of the problem, and we can settle it down with, you know, other. We can do other things to help it probably more and use their time better. So research is the first layer. Research is the first layer. So for the Alter G, for example. Do we have a ton of research? Because it was very new. In yeah, fact, when we yeah. got it, the only other place that had it was the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. So they don't have to have pass the research bar because they they, got, they can just bring stuff in. They can, and they're like, "Oh, we don't like this." And <laughs> yeah, they we send don't like it, it out. Yeah, exactly. They just like just get very rid of different it. for us. Yeah. Very different. Huge investment. Right? No, no disrespect to the Olympic Training Center. Absolutely they have fantastic not. people there, but it's a different when they're evaluating things. They, in a lot of ways. They have to be ahead of the research. Otherwise, the athletes get behind. 100%. They've got to try things out. And sometimes we do that too. I'm not saying we don't do that in my clinic. And my business partner is much more apt to to try those things. So sometimes, you know, get a little laser. Let's figure (laughs) out how that works. She will do that more than I will. And I love that. It's a good balance between the two of us is that she's more apt to just jump, go for it. Um, 
But I, I like to see more research. So Alter-G, for example, we have had years of research that this helps people with Parkinson's. If you can de-weight them, they have two types of gait. And this doesn't speak to the runners as much, except we may have runners who now have Parkinson's. And if you can find an Alter-G, yeah. go get on one. But you can de-weight them, and they can actually tap into their old motor plan. Mm. And they can run. So like they used to, with no hitch in their giddy-up, as we would call it technically. Um, <laughs> there are names for the way that they walk. But that 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 was one thing. Listen, we can use it for that population. We can use it for our elite runners who want to de-weight a little bit and get that motor mapping mm-hmm. of their legs moving faster. We can do it with that. So the the use for that machine was so vast. We could really impact lots of people in all different areas of the population. So so how many people will it help? Is there is there research behind it? How many people will it help? Does it help folks coming to see us for what they need? Is, is there an alternate? Because that's something that you mentioned on the ultrasound is it's like, well, if we can treat this in a different way yeah. that we know works. Very true. And so let me, there's a caveat to that, which is that I have generally speaking, very motivated patients. <laughs> I do. Well, this and is a good I, motivated audience. I, I know. Right. <laughs> so, so if it's not working, it's, I need to change something. Mm. And in many settings, I mean, this is privilege right here because mm. I get people that really are going to use my tools and they're going to do the program at home. So they can do a lot at home. So like ice massage in a little Dixie cup, it's worth its weight in gold. <laughs> it really is. The ice massage is key. I can get a greater trochanteric bursitis to calm down if they're going to do, you know, ice massage three times a day for two minutes each time on their own. And I can do the other stuff when they come see me. Mm. So there's a component to this where I do have a benefit because I have people that I know are going to do what I ask them to do. I mean, within reason, obviously, right, people right. have things happen. But I, so I, so the flip side of that is, I guess, if you only had those couple of minutes to work on someone and you thought that was going to help, if it was, again, surface, okay, let's use that. And they're not going to do anything at home. That's you it. Might as well throw it at it. Right. So there are, there's a time and a place. And so my setting is very unique in that. And I don't forget that because I work... It, again, in my delegation stuff, we have people in all kinds of practice, acute care, Church. really yeah. seeing uh, emergency departments where they're seeing some of the most vulnerable yeah. folks in our community. Different and that's not my setting right yeah. now. And so I've been there. I've seen it. But it's not my setting right now. What have you taken a flyer on that you eventually got rid of? Oh, that's a great question. I think we've used most of the things there is something though if i can think of it of course we got rid of it so yeah, out of sight out of the mind like what did we get rid of um you know what like did you ever have one Jason. of the vibration platforms or oh it's there right now oh you have a vibration platform yeah, you use it i i don't um right now your trainers use it yeah um, so I would use it for balance. In fact, I'd have yeah. different, I'd have some pretty different purposes. Sometimes there are other, they say that does a lot of things. I might use it for some balance stuff. Um, oh, we've used the Wii. We used the Wii, oh, which yeah? was actually kind of fun. I've, I've, um, I've seen that a lot. Yeah. The Wii balance stuff. Yeah. yeah. So we did use that for a little while. Um, and, but sometimes you kind of get to the point where, okay, what's the benefit? What can I have them do at home is just, you know, doing some exercises at home going to do as much. It just in the clinic, it makes it fun. Well, if you cut, if you think of one, 
send it to me afterwards. I'll put it in the show notes and we'll see what people say about it. Sounds great. Um, the vibration thing actually originally came out with, uh, it, I remember the original, one of the original intents of it was to help with muscle hypertrophy and power and strength. And now it's being used more as a, in a rehabilitative setting. Mm-hmm. And bone density. Yeah. They've talked about that's yeah. a big, that's a big push. And that push was there probably 15 years ago for bone density in our, in our world that mm-hmm. was, pushed um the I, I don't know that i have enough conclusive research to tell me that it's going to help enough like okay. there are other things that i might do okay so opposite question on that theme mm-hmm. what do you use the most mm. for our population yeah i mean alter g yeah you know, uh, especially if there's an injury because you guys need, you need endorphins, you need endorphins. <laughs> so is it merely to satiate the need to train? <laughs> but or it's is that important, just a side but that's not, that, that is not, uh, you know, that is critical, right? That's a mental health side. Mm. Number one, number two, if you have a race coming up, I got to keep you moving. Mm. So it's a critical tool that I have to use. Um, so outside of the alter G, um, what do I use? See, I don't use a lot of tools. Your hands. My my hands a ton. That's right. When when you're in seeing me, it's my hands yeah. because uh, that's what you can't do at home, <laughs> <laughs> right? And nailing what you need to be doing at home is critical. So sometimes while I'm working on you, I'm talking through this or that, and little things that people tell me about their lives, like their lifestyle, that will end up sometimes being really critical information. Mm-hmm. So as I'm questioning people, I talk a lot in my sessions and I want to know about their lives. I want to know this because if I can get this snapshot of what their life looks like, I it, I can put pieces together a lot better. So I ask lots of questions. In fact, I had someone in the Secret Service who told me I should be a spy. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, you can just get tons of information out of people. <laughs> He's like, I don't know how you do that. And I just said – but I'm a terrible liar. I'd be a horrible spy. He said, oh, we can train you for that. Oh, wow. Um, that actually, that is another thing I wanted to talk to you about because since you see this huge range of patients, what are the keys to a successful outcome from the patient side, particularly in an athletic population? So somebody like me comes yeah. in, I want physical therapy. How do I make the most out of that visit in order to get whatever I'm trying to get treated, treated? Write things down. I Dang it, I don't do that. <laughs> Start today. Start today. Um, when we ask you things like, okay, I need you to, for the next 24 hours, I need you to really pay attention to how your body responded to this. Write it down. Life is busy. We're not going to remember the details. You do not need to write, by the way, uh, Matt, huge essay. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Just so, we need a few bullet bad. points. Like, this didn't hurt, this hurt. I did this better. I did this and didn't even think about it. You know, whatever it is that that we're focused on, write some feedback down or questions that you come up with. Mm. Write those down too. And if you come in with that, it's really helpful for us because when I give someone, I'm going to give you a couple of exercises. We've talked about this. I don't like to give you 20. I like to give you a few because I want to know what's working and what's not working. Um, and it will help me. It's a little more scientific model. I can say this is okay, that's your key. That's what yeah. you're going to stick with for the next two months. I need you doing that 
X number of times a week. Um, so your feedback is really important and our lives are so busy that we might forget, oh, was that the next day? Because sometimes someone will tell mm -hmm. me, oh, I really hurt the next day and da, da 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 And then in conversation, we talk about their week and what they did. And it turns out that they went to a birthday party on Friday and it was actually Saturday that they started hurting. Oh yeah, it was Saturday when I started hurting. But that's important for me because I have to understand how they responded to the treatment and I have to put these puzzle pieces together. So being a good historian at the end of the day is what helps us be better PTs for you. So write it down and come, come to the office with it. Mm -hmm. And then when you're in the office, write down your bullet points, leave with it, put bullet points on those bullet points, come back. Yeah, tracking a little bit. And, and it's intense for a short period of time. But if during the short time of treatment that you can, if you can do that for the couple of weeks that we're working together, then I think your outcomes are going to be better because the more accurate feedback I have, the more accurate diagnostic uh, tools. Um, and I might test something different. In other words, if one thing isn't working and I know I need to go down a different road. Also, be honest. Listen, if you didn't do any of your exercises, it's okay. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not offended. I'm not going to be offended. I just need to know. <laughs> like, just tell me you didn't do any of your exercises. And we all have lots of reasons for that. Uh, and that's okay. Exercises. Okay. This is the last point. Oh, yeah. A lot of people out there that have been to physical therapy have had this experience. They leave with five pages of exercises. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole – I've used the software before. Mm -hmm. There's a whole lot of pieces of software. There's 30 things on them. Mm -hmm. There's a 20 or 30-minute routine. Mm -hmm. You know, three by 10, four by 20, two minutes of this, you know, five minutes of that and things like that. I leave your clinic and I very rarely get anything more than, you know, I can put on a post-it note of things to do. Why is that generally your strategy? That is my strategy because unless I'm dealing with a professional athlete who has their entire job is to rehabilitate, for those folks, they're going to get more. Okay. They're going to get more. They're going to get the they're they're going to get, I shouldn't say that either, because I still am going to be diligent about how I put that in there. I don't want 10 exercises at once because I don't know what helped then. I don't know if it was exercise five or exercise number eight. So how do I know what to tell you to keep doing? And I'm looking for long-term outcomes, right? First of all, I want to diagnose it properly. Second of all, I want to make sure that what I give you is really hitting the nail on the head. So... Um, I also need to know your life, like you need to be honest with me. I have 10 minutes a day to add in for exercises. Perfect. I'll do that. That's my job. <laughs> that's okay. If you only have 10 minutes, that's honest. Mm -hmm. And it helps me to tailor your program to you. So it's short because in most of my patients' lives, they're training, they're working, they might have a family, and they've got to find balance. It's not sustainable for me to give them 20 to 30 minutes extra on top of what they're already doing. So I just have to be very precise in what I give them. I've so always, I think as a therapist, I just need to be better. I've always felt that it's kind of like throwing shit against the wall. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, I've had that experience as well. I've gone to a physical therapist and I'm like, A, none of these are synergistic. B, they're all different. So – like it's, if if you don't know, just tell me. I don't know. Like I would that I would I would much rather appreciate that. Just say I don't know. We're gonna try all this stuff and then we're gonna whittle it down. But don't say we're gonna do all this stuff and it's all gonna work. That's right. the issue that I've always had with the battery of things. I agree with you. So I have to have a hypothesis. 
I have to say, this is what I think is going on. And I'm pretty honest with my yeah, patients yeah. about that. I could be wrong. I'm a, I don't mind being wrong. I want to find the right path. So I'm willing to say, I'm having you try these couple of things because I think this is what's going on. If you do them and you don't respond, I know that we need to shift gears just a little bit. We're probably not far off. Hopefully we're not far off. <laughs> then That's another problem. Yeah. But we might need to focus in on another thing. And again, sometimes it's those conversations where something just pops up where I go, oh, I know where we need to go right now mm. because of something you just told me about when it hurts or why it hurts or how you move or I, oh, I did, you know, incidentally, I do spend eight hours a day in bed, long sitting with work. <laughs> Good to know. That is great information that I needed to it's know. It's so funny that you do that because I'm always like, what's the training load increase? Is it more than 10%? Okay, then we'll just reduce training load. You know? <laughs> but you're like, okay, if you like the conversation we had the other day, we're probably going to violate every HIPAA law by this. Uh, no, you can say as much oh, as I you want. And Sweet. if you tell me I can say it, then you I can, can say, say it. it. You can totally say yes. it. The conversation we had the other day, I was on the PCT for two months. I was sitting in my van driving for six hours. You're like, oh, yeah, that's material to this, to figuring out what's going on here. I would have never thought about that because it's like, I'm sitting down. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Nobody thinks about that except PTs who geek exactly. out on static positioning. <laughs> static positioning is killing us. Oh, <laughs> it's a little dramatic. And you said that you but... noticed that after COVID, right? Because oh everybody's working in their home offices and it's just a different deal. Right. So we're no longer jumping up to go down the hallway or far in another building to a bathroom or go chat with someone in the in their office or go. We just aren't getting up and moving as much. And so even people that are endurance athletes. They do their thing, and some of them have even increased and and done it in a really, really reasonable manner. They're not increasing in a way that it would hurt them. That's not what's hurting them. They did it properly. What's hurting them is what they do when they're not running, riding, cycling. Mm -hmm. That type of thing is where we really get into trouble. Mm, so, I love it. Yeah. All right, we're going to leave it there, Jess. Kay. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for having Sorry me. Sorry my dog was so annoying. It wasn't annoying. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Keep keeping athletes on the right side of the injury line. I'm going to do my best. Thanks for having me. All right, folks. There you have it. There you go. Much thanks to Jessica for coming on the podcast today and enlightening us about how the whole thing works and how you can take better advantage of the physical therapy visits that you have and also help you navigate the space. I'm also very appreciative of Jessica and her handiwork in keeping me on the right side of the injury line for almost the entirety of my uh, running career as I moved up here to Colorado. In addition to that, she has a great track record with uh, not only our athletes, but our coaches who have gone and seen her or any of the other wonderful practitioners in her practice. As I mentioned in the intro, this is the first in a series of podcasts that are going to be dropping at, in late October and early November, all about how to navigate this world of physical therapy. The next episode of the podcast is a really special one. It is the hundredth episode of the Coopcast. And instead of doing something super cliche, like coming up with the best of and the most salacious clips and wild things that everybody said, I'm going to bring on my good friend, John Chow, so you guys can learn something from him. So stay tuned for that. That will be dropping on October 28th. He's got a lot of wisdom in in this area as well. Appreciate the heck out of each and every one of the listeners. And as always, we'll see you guys out on the trails.